0: Good afternoon. Monday afternoon, Mackling and McGarry. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg
1: Mackling. Hello, Greg. Were you disappointed that Phelps didn't really race a shark?
0: (laughs) I (laughs) I forgot that it was happening.
1: If you actually thought he was going to race a shark and somehow they'd coerced a shark into participating in this ridiculous television program, then you deserve all the disappointment you received.
0: I just looked up, uh, there's a tweet. Somebody said, I feel robbed.
1: Really? Many disappointed. Come on. How did you think they were going to do this other than with math and a little CGI? Goodness gracious, I recorded it. Um, Not because I anticipated Michael Phelps was going to be swimming away from a pursuing great white shark, but because I I wanted to confirm my thoughts as to how they were going to do this. And it was actually somewhat entertaining as long as you weren't in the back of your mind imagining this would culminate in some sort of race, either in an Olympic-sized swimming pool or in the, you know, Pacific Ocean off the uh, or Atlantic Ocean off the shores of South Africa, it just wasn't going to go down that way, but folks.
0: What Had it been advertised at all leading up to this that it was going to be a simulated shark?
1: All they said was shark versus Phelps, basically. Okay. Well, and so they did all the comparisons they uh, they 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 said that they were going to uh do certain things i understand that other people had ideas in their head but really there was no way they were going to pull off the things that some were imagining
0: i uh, the one thing i will say is if if cuz they've been talking about this for months now sure. shelps again shelps Phelps. I'm trying to say shell, shark and Phelps in one word. Shelps. <laughs> uh, Michael Phelps versus a shark. I didn't expect him to be racing in a pool right beside a great white shark, but they have been promoting it as Phelps versus a shark. So if you tune in and see that it's a computerized shark, I can understand why people are a tad uh, upset. Okay. So I, would, uh, I, I don't expect that he would have gone toe-to-toe with a shark, but... Still, to, to find the day of to get there and see that it's just a computerized simulation.
1: I can sort of understand the disappointment. Well, they did a lot of real-life measurement over how quick a shark moves in certain circumstances. They did their homework, and they showed us how they got to the way they simulated the shark speed, etc. So I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, my tweet of the night, and I'm a little disappointed I didn't get more action on this. Unconfirmed reports of overturned sections of reef, burning coral and sea creatures looting beaches and celebrating a shark victory. Shark versus Phelps.
0: If that's the kind of thing that disappoints you in your life, you need to put
1: your phone down. <laughs> I thought that was very clever. <laughs> you know how people riot after their team wins the championship? Yeah? Mm. No? No, I like it.
0: Oh, okay. But I, was, but I was kind of fixated on that. You were sad because you didn't get. More oh no, I play. wasn't sad.
1: I was disappointed oh. that it didn't get. You know, there's a difference. There's a dramatic Fine. variation there. <laughs> uh, how about angry? Angry? <laughs> we got a good dose of angry in that video clip that Britney Greenslade sent us this morning. My word! So this
0: is. Uh, I didn't bother. Rec- I recorded the the tape, but it's it's loud and there's swearing and stuff, so I didn't bother with that. But there is a video that is making the rounds. It is... I thought I had the details. Okay, I got it.
1: Okay. Huge fight breaks out at No Frills in Toronto. Things got heated at the No Frills parking lot at the Cedar Bray Mall this weekend when an argument over a parking space escalated into an all-out fist fight before bystanders and some employees were able to break it up. The whole incident recalls a similar similar altercation that was caught on tape at a Costco parking lot in Mississauga last year, though it's certainly a quicker affair than the notorious pizza-pizza fight. I don't know the pizza-pizza fight. You know the pizza-pizza fight?
0: Pizza-pizza fight? Yeah.
1: What they said in here, it's notorious. Really? Yeah. Oh,
0: I am unfamiliar with the notorious pizza-pizza
1: fight. The most intense portion of the fight was captured on video and posted to YouTube by Adam Leroy. In it, we see two parties arguing loudly before a flurry of punches is thrown. There appear to be a man and a woman from two separate vehicles involved in the incident. So you watch this video and you see all these people involved.
0: You see fists flying and this is over a parking spot. So, it just gets you wondering, like, how how far are you willing to go to, what, to protect your parking spot? Express to... your anger? I would... You mentioned this earlier with Jeff. I have no problem parking far away. I actually typically, when I enter a parking lot, I will go to a point that is further away. Just because I find that it takes maybe an extra second to get to the further style, but it takes you less time to get out and into the store than trying to wrestle for a closer spot. To try to jockey for the closest spot in the lot, typically you spend more time sitting in the aisle, so I just go to the further spot. Good for you.
1: You're my hero now. So
0: I don't... But if if i in that position, going for that further style, and then somebody decided to take a spot that I was shooting for, would I get mad? Probably. This mad, no. I would like to think not this angry, but... I guess you never know. So that's
1: what we want to know from you. Well, and the prevalence of this stuff. Is it more prevalent? Is it more violent? Or is it just because of our handheld devices with built-in video cameras that we're hearing more about these things? We're seeing them with our own two eyes, and they're becoming highlighted in forums like ours, on websites, in newspapers, on uh, social media. Is this the sort of thing that has been going on for a long time, but we're just now kind of coming to grips with the idea that, holy man, people can get really violent with one another over just about nothing. Yeah. You know, which is what it is.
0: 204-780-6868 is the number to call. It is the number to text as well. You can email gmac at cjob.com. That's G-M-A-C-K. At cjob.com. And you can also email brett at cjob.com, B R E T T, at cjob.com.
1: <laughs> I, I'm laughing because we're getting uh, text messages about the uh, Phelps versus shark thing. Oh. What about the adrenaline factor by actually being chased by a shark? That might have made the difference between Phelps and the shark. <laughs> and there
0: are apps for runners, for joggers, where you can. Uh, It's just zombies chasing you. So you put your earphones in, and it's zombies chasing you from behind. And I guess based on whatever speed you want to run at, you set it to that. And if you start falling behind, the pace, the zombies get closer to you. They start to get louder, like they're coming up right behind you. (sighs) That would have... I... That... Whatever motivates you to exercise, I guess. That would be really unsettling, though, for me, I think.
1: That's quite hilarious. John says, now throw him in the water with a blood bag tied to him. Give us our money's worth. See how fast they both are. See? People want to see yeah. the shark. I know. It's bloodthirsty. It's so funny. Uh, on the more uh, direct topic we're talking about right now, people will drive around the parking lot for 30 minutes to get a spot up front. It's so true. Yeah. I don't I don't get the mentality behind that. Like if you pull up and it's there, you know, you ever say uh this rock star parking, they knew I was coming. <laughs> yeah. You know, things like that, right? Oh, I got lucky, today's my lucky day, what have you. But to spend time circling around, speaking of sharks, like a great white shark circling its prey, yes, really to spend that much time you know, circling a parking spot. I like I say, I get it when it's cold. If you got a couple of kids in the car and it's minus 15 or minus 20, and you want to be close, but really, in the middle of summer, who cares? And
0: as well, if you, if there's some sort of uh, a physical impairment, of course,
1: uh, that's a different story. But... There are all sorts of caveats, but I mean, for the most, for most of us, parking further away is probably a good idea versus it being an okay or bad idea.
0: Well, what are, I think is, it three kinds of parkers. There's the see it and take it. Kind of person. Okay. I, I'm gonna
1: see it and take it. I, All right. If
0: I and that, and that means if it's a hundred, like whether it's ten feet away from the door or 500 feet, if I see it, I'll take it and I'll just get out the car and go. Then there are the people. I think they call them the stalkers, the ones who just kind of drive around. And then there's the the people who will wait. They'll they'll sit in the aisle and wait. If they see you walking towards your car, they'll just wait. I'm Cre- just gonna they, wait. Here. They creep up the on creeper. you. It might be the creeper. I. I'm not sure. I think the creepers are the worst
1: because they'll just block the path. Oh, I don't. The Creepers drive me nuts. Yeah. And it's a short drive for me on that. Driver charged with dramatic video, or pardon me, jar, dr, driver charged after dramatic video shows vicious attack of 74-year-old cyclists. Search this one out as well. Absolutely disgusting. A, a guy in a pickup truck had a confrontation with a cyclist in Peterborough, Ontario, And the video was shot by a woman who was working across the street. And she, along with several other motorists, broke up the incident, but not before the cyclist was bloodied. And the driver of this truck had some sort of rubber sort of club. I'm not exactly sure why he's driving around with this thing, either on his person or in his truck, but it was very savage, this beating that this uh, motorist put down on a on a cyclist who he felt had gotten in his way. Yeah,
0: this is, uh, I'm just reading this story here. The video shows the cyclist on the ground with his attacker on top of him, striking him over and over in the head and torso, shows the attacker stopping when witnesses approached and intervened. A woman says, I'm filming all this, as the driver gets back up and flicks blood off
1: his hands. Good Lord. This was last Tuesday. So this is about a week old, this incident now. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Have you ever witnessed anything like that? I told you a couple of weeks ago, I almost saw it right on Route 90, uh, a, a semi-driver semi and a pickup. Each driver got out. They were on the boulevard. Maybe on holidays. Okay. I was northbound on Route 90 and a semi-trailer had been stopped at a red light, pickup truck pulled in behind him both drivers of each vehicle got out and they, they actually shoved each other. Really? Yeah. It was very close to getting physical. And uh, I had my camera at the ready also cognizant of the fact I'm in a lane of traffic. So I really shouldn't have had my phone. Um, but I was considering putting it in park and getting out to film this thing. But then I imagined a scenario where either one or both of them turn on me and then I become their joint victim. So, I decided to move along, but yeah, just to to stumble upon something like that is really disturbing that we treat each other the way we do at times.
0: And uh, John just texted us to 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 say the weapon this man was using is called a fish bonker. Oh, and I just Googled fish bonker, Mm, and yeah, they're just these little sort of clubs. Thanks for that, John. That's uh, great information. Maybe
1: maybe Phelps should be uh, swimming with the fish bonker. (laughs) case That shark gets too close.
0: Let's uh, have a look at your forecast. 204-780-6868 is the number to call if you have anything you want to comment on this, whether it's road rage, uh, parking rage, parking lot rage. Uh, Don't worry, Greg, I'm getting there. Uh, Also, we can, uh, if you're what kind of a parker you are, and then the reverse angled parking. Greg went to visit the site of the reverse-angled parking on Bannatine between Waterfront and Rory, and we'll hear about that after your forecast
1: up next. Got to get the jaws, the tongue, and the lips moving here on this Monday afternoon. I'm Greg. He is Brett. Hope you had a stellar weekend, maybe your weekend starting today, if it is. Good on you. You Fine. made it.
0: Len is at 204 780 Len, what are you calling about? What did you want to talk about of the various items we were discussing?
2: <laughs> right on. It's just uh, this uh, business about the the guys that uh, had that fight in the parking lot. I, I truly believe that the, the driver is so frustrated that these events happen. If, for instance, like I drive twice a day downtown to pick my wife up every day i was i could be in an accident with a pedestrian or a bike rider pedestrians that are cutting and running through red lights bike riders that are on the sidewalk going the wrong way what i think mpi should do about sharing the road is should get some advertisement out about the bicycle riders and the and and the the pedestrians so that there's like it's so frustrating to a driver i've I've been driving downtown for years and i'm i'm more frustrated than i've ever been with uh, pedestrians and uh, uh, riders downtown
0: What is it Uh, about uh, pedestrians? We'll we'll get to cyclists in a moment, but what is it about pedestrians that uh, is driving you crazy?
2: It's a good thing you asked me that, because today, when I went to pick my wife up at lunchtime, I was driving home with her, and there was three girls walking about a block and a half ahead of me crossing the street. So I'm driving along. What do they do? They slow right down to almost a stop in front of me to challenge me as a driver I mean, it's it's ludicrous. Like why 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 these types of things are happening? Or you're downtown, you go to turn a corner, next thing you know, somebody's running out in the middle of the street. It's it's normal driving conditions you would you can you can live with, but all these uh, uh, these interruptions by these bicycle riders and pedestrians who just think that they have the right on the road. I mean, we're all sharing the road. I have a vehicle, they're walking, why would they challenge me? But this is what it's like every day. And it's so frustrating, I think, when you come to an event where you have to find a parking spot, yeah, you're done by then. You
1: know, I think that lends, uh, there's a certain amount of uh, credibility to what you're saying, Len. And I know that quite often people will not obey the rules at a controlled crosswalk where they won't press the button and then if they do press the button and those amber lights flash they feel like there's some sort of magical force field that comes up from the road that protects you from the from the from the traffic and exactly i was taught that you don't start crossing that road until all lanes of traffic have stopped and there's no yep. consideration there's no self accountability on those fronts and yeah drivers are as bad as they've ever been but we're not as careful as we we ought to be as well and i think it's doubly frustrating when the same drivers who are frustrated about driving park their cars at a at a shopping center parking lot or at the stadium or or wherever it might be and then they become these mindless wandering pedestrians that don't think about anything in terms of vehicle safety, they walk right down the middle of the aisle. They don't pay attention to what's going on. And 90 seconds earlier, they were behind the wheel of a car, frustrated with pedestrians that were doing exactly the same thing.
2: I agree with you 100%. I just want to make one more comment, is that uh, I feel that uh, I cannot remember a police officer stopping me uh, for an infraction, like not turning at a, uh, not using a turning signal or whatever the case may be. I've never been stopped other than at a at a stop where they stop to check you for alcohol or for speeding. There's no enforcement on the streets as far as the police are concerned whatsoever. like uh, as far as the drivers or the pedestrians. I've never seen a police officer uh, stop a guy on a bicycle riding on this on the sidewalk.
0: Well, you know what? actually, uh, Len, uh, this is—I mean, this is a. Uh, there was a story on the weekend where a guy, a police observed a, a suspicious man on a bike. He ended up arrested for a whole bunch of things, including the fact that he was on a stolen bike. But they also gave him a ticket for riding a bike on the sidewalk. I
1: think that's how it all started, right? They spotted him on the sidewalk. It was their excuse. To actually talk to this guy.
0: But uh, that was just, uh, that was sort of a, uh, just happened, uh, uh, sort of a coincidence that we happened to be talking about that. But Len, listen, thanks for the call. We very much appreciate it. And uh, right. we wish you a good day. We'll just quickly take Peter. Peter, we got like 30 seconds. What's the point you want to make?
3: Okay. You know what, guys? I I think we are raising a generation. You know about road rage? We've a generation with says
4: zero patience. We expect everything automatically. You know, you get text, text messages, automatic you get news, you know, as it happens automatically,
3: right, right at that moment. So, you know, I, I'm thinking just people don't have enough patience to slow down, take it easy Uh I don't know what word I'm trying to think of here, but maybe you know what I
1: mean. We want it all. We want it right now. And there's uh, very little tolerance for waiting any longer than a second.
3: Yes, we, yeah, we have absolutely intolerance is, is, is one word I can think of. Zero tolerance whatsoever.
1: Peter, thanks for this.
0: Very much appreciated, thanks, Peter. Thanks for the call. And thank you, Len, as well. A great call at 204 780 6868. We'll discuss the reverse angle parking situation at some point later this afternoon. Global News at 1.30 is up next. Suicide
5: is painless. Suicide it brings on many changes. Changes and I can take or leave it if I please.
2: The sword of time
5: that
0: is the theme song for MASH, the film, and then eventually the television series, Suicide is Painless, a song written by Johnny Mandel and Mike Altman. I actually thought it was the Beach Boys for a while. The harmonies are similar to what you'd hear from the Beach Boys, but they're all just sort of uncredited session singers. Uh, Their names, you can find them on Wikipedia. Um, It's a haunting song.
1: A, A, very haunting. B, had no idea that song had lyrics attached to it. And see, uh, I would have guessed the Beach Boys as well. Wow, that's the first time I've ever heard that song with lyrics.
0: Yeah, when I first heard it as well, because I I remember watching Match Match the Television series as a kid, like going back. So that it's just it one of those on tunes every day. Yeah, so it's one of those tunes that I think anybody in the '70s and '80s knows. And yeah, without if you never saw the film, which I had not, I had no idea that as well. When I learned it had lyrics, I thought, okay, and. Uh, When I heard the song, I think it actually made me had a really emotional reaction to it. So it's a powerful song.
1: A powerful song and a powerful story we're following today. And here's the headline from the Global News story. They sealed his fate. Winnipeg family says man's suicide shines spotlight on health care failures. Winnipeg family is speaking out after their stepfather took his own life just hours after being released from hospital. On Monday night, a family member found Terence Van Dyke in the midst of trying to take his own life after spending time talking with the 49 year old. They managed to convince Van Dyke to seek help. Noah Barga is Terence Van Dyke's stepson. And he spoke to Jeff Courier earlier today.
6: It was about Wednesday at, 9:30 uh, PM that he wanted to try getting help again, because he's already been turned away from hospital several times. Uh, We ended up going to the Health Sciences Centre via a cab, and we sat in the waiting room till about 2 in the morning. And then we got admitted to an examination room, and we didn't see a doctor till 5 in the morning. Um, I, I told the doctor, you know, he had a suicidal attempt. He tried to hang himself just two days ago. You know, he said himself to the doctor, he can't go back home, that he was afraid of what he might do. He can't keep soldiering on like this. He was in tears because he was in real physical pain for the longest time. And that really affected the sleeping patterns. Having one to three hours of sleep for several months, that will take a toll on somebody's mind. And when they ended up discharging him around noon, I had to leave for work at 7 a.m., so I wasn't there he told them that when he comes back to the hospital, not if, but when, that he would not be alive. And they still let him go despite everything that he and we said.
1: That's Noah Barga in conversation with Jeff Courier earlier this morning, we've been reaching out to the WRHA and just in the last few moments, in fact, have received confirmation that we will have a spokesperson to to talk about this situation and, and talk about uh, some of the uh, discussion within the conversation that Jeff Courier had and also the situation as it pertains to the entire story surrounding the uh, death and the suicide of Terence Van Dyke. In the meantime, Brett, we thought it was pretty important that we give folks the information that they may need if they are in distress, if they are in a bad place in regards to their own mental health, because these stories sometimes do trigger things for folks that are in a bad spot. Mary Jo Bolton
0: is with us, clinical director of clinic community health. Mary Jo, thank you so much for joining us today live on 680 CJOB. This is a situation where uh, a man Goes to the emergency room because he is, he's having a health emergency. And do you think we are getting, how much work do you think we need to, to do before we get to a point where this is regarded as, with equal importance as, say, a physical emergency?
7: that's a that's a good question and i think there's there's a lot of work being done on that now and a lot of awareness that just like some physical uh disease or illness that can threaten the life of a person so can uh mental suffering psychic suffering and we certainly see that situation here
1: so mary jo am i right to assume and to draw a conclusion that By the mere fact that we're talking about this story today, it may be having those that have suicidal thoughts, who have issues with their mental health, have issues with their physical health that are causing uh, mental distress. Uh, This may be a situation where where people may need phone numbers, may need counseling uh, themselves because we are talking about this today.
7: Yes, for sure, and I think that's uh, very responsible reporting to put out the you know, the information about the resources because I think it does uh, touch people very deeply, even people that have been bereaved by suicide at some other time in their life may be hearing this as well and think, where do I get support? Um, so one of the services run by uh, by clinic is the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line, which is 24 hours a day if people find making a phone call might be a, a step that's a little easier or a first step before going to a hospital. Uh, there's obviously the Crisis Response Center, very good resource within the community that's 24-7 as well. Um, if if anyone wants to look up information, say on a website because they're concerned about someone they love who might be suicidal or maybe they're they're also at risk of suicide themselves and they want to get some kind of hope and information, um, they could check out uh, reasontolive.ca. It's a very good uh, website resource for people. So there, there is a spectrum of, of resources, depending on what, I guess, someone feels like they're ready to do, whether that's just read some information to get some help for themselves or make a phone call or even go down to a resource like the Crisis Response Centre in person.
0: I'm just uh, I'm thinking of if, if somebody is in distress is feeling despair and they they need to go to an emergency room but then on the flip side if they're if they were to just simply pick up a phone does that maybe and I'm just trying to look at it from from the other side of the coin here if all it might take to help somebody is a phone call is the emergency room the a place where people should be going if they're feeling this kind of distress?
7: I think if someone is worried, you know, we maybe don't have to think of them as either or, but maybe a a process of reaching out in a couple of ways to get the support that they're needing. So um, that phone call, if they do make a phone call like that, might lead to them choosing to go down to somewhere like the Crisis Response Centre to get in-person help, perhaps to get assessed by psychiatry. at. Some people may feel like, well, a phone call is not enough. I need to be seen or I need my loved one to be sitting in front of a doctor. Then it would be most appropriate for them to go down to the Crisis Response Center.
1: I'm on the Crisis Response Center website right now, and I'm looking at a piece of literature that says as many as 10,000 people requiring assistance with a mental health crisis present to emergency departments in Winnipeg each year. That's a staggering number of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
7: Yes, I, I I think, you know, when I look at our, we have a um, whole spectrum of different types of crisis line services here at clinic, for example, and we have upwards of 40,000 calls a year to those various support lines. And we know that Uh, many people who call in to try and get support from us also get a busy signal. So, I mean, I think what that just speaks to is that uh, lots of us are suffering out there and need emotional support and need extra help in terms of mental health. So um, anyone feeling alone out there, feeling like they're not coping, um, you know, lots of people struggle and there are resources and supports available for them.
1: Can you give us that phone number while we're speaking right now?
7: Sure. The Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line number is 1-877-435-7170. And I, can I just say that that line is, it kind of has th- is three mandates in a way. One, anyone who's concerned about themselves, they're feeling suicidal, can call the line. If you are concerned about a colleague a friend a family member that you're concerned about that that you feel could be suicidal you're welcome to call as well it's it's a support line for anyone who's been bereaved by suicide so almost anything related to to suicide anyone is welcome to call that line.
1: I always bring this point up and uh, once again I think it's been verified by anyone I I broach it with but this idea that we need to have the Support's required when people have enough courage to come forward and and ask for help, and we may only get one chance with those people.
7: Yes, I agree. I think it's it's very difficult uh, for us to come forward to ask for help, especially, it seems, uh, when it's related to mental health. And so I think that is our one chance, and we may not speak to someone again. Uh, so we do want to get it right. I think uh, any, uh, any of us working in the helping profession, we want to get it right. We want to be patient and compassionate and have the help that people need.
1: Mary Jo, thanks for doing this today. We appreciate it. Is there anything that you'd like to get out there before we let you go?
7: I think the main thing is that people, t- to check out the Reason to Live website for information, um, to make sure that you you um, have ways to talk to your loved ones about suicide, about uh, struggling mental health that these connections with each other are so important. So I'd invite everyone to check out that website.
1: You know, and you bring something up there, this idea of you know this may not be for you. you may be investigating this because you're concerned about a that's friend, right. a loved one uh, and, and that and that's important isn't it to to realize that. Someone in your life may be struggling. It's not out of line for you to uh, get involved if you're genuinely concerned that they are going down this path or having these thoughts.
7: Absolutely. And that can be uncomfortable, but that's a lot better to have a, a difficult, uncomfortable conversation than, you know, to, to potentially lose someone to suicide
1: because it's a difficult thing to broach. Well, when someone close to you passes away, whether by accident, suddenly, or at their own hand... Uh, anyone close to them ask the question, what could I have done differently? And yes. you know what? Your opportunity quite often and more likely than not is uh, is now versus later.
7: Yes, I agree.
1: Mary Jo, uh, before we let you go, if somebody does call
0: a clinic looking for help, uh, you referenced that sometimes the lines are busy. Uh, if somebody does, as Greg pointed out, ha- find the courage to pick up the phone and make a call and the lines are busy, what should that person do?
7: I guess I would just encourage them to keep trying you know to help do what they do what they can to help themselves stay settled in the moment. Someone will pick up they may not have to wait long, but to just be patient with that a little bit, uh especially calling through on the Manitoba suicide prevention line. You know, I think people would rarely be met with a busy signal on that line. So I would encourage people to call if they need to call. If you get a busy signal, just wait. Try us again. We do want to talk with you.
1: I have a text message right here, Mary Jo, before we let you go. And I promise this is our last uh, Mm -hmm. back and forth. I have needed a help a few times and two of those times I called clinic and was told that the lines were full and to call back. Fortunately, I had someone else to talk to after making those calls. So we know that the need is there.
7: Yes, we do. Absolutely.
1: Mary Jo, thank you for this, and thanks for all you do.
7: Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Mary Jo Bolton is Clinical Director of Clinic Community Health. It is 147 on 680 CJOB. We will continue our conversation with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. We recently broached a discussion about having peer support in emergency rooms, and maybe this is a situation where that would have helped out. So we'll speak with Adam Milne from the Mood Disorders Association after your forecast up next.
1: Before we move along here, I just want to give out that Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support line one more time, 877-435-7170, the website reasontolive.ca.
0: We are joined now by Adam Milne from the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. He is volunteer coordinator. He is an outreach worker. And we are speaking about this idea of peer support in emergency rooms. Now, this was a discussion we had with Adam in recent weeks. Um, and we just thought we would very quickly revisit this discussion. So Adam, maybe can you just sort of reset the table? What is it that the Mood Disorders Association is proposing as far as peer support in ERs is concerned?
4: Peer support in ERs is about putting someone with lived experience and training into the ERs, especially the waiting rooms, so that when people come in, they have someone who they can talk to while they're waiting. So while the doctor is is treating patients, they have someone that they can interact with, someone who understands and knows how to respond to them, and so that they can get help in the interim.
1: How does this bridge a gap? Because clearly there's a gap in a lot of people's view Adam, uh, we have ER, we have the, the special uh, center, the Distress Center for Mental Health at Health Sciences Center, we have websites, we have the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line. Some people will say, well, there's all these resources. How, how is it that this is going to help and, and why are people falling through the cracks?
4: People are falling through the cracks because they're not getting the care they need in the way they need it when they need it. Um, websites are fantastic resources, but it's not a person. Um, medical structures work wonders when you can get in to see one, but we ask doctors and nurses to do a Herculean task of treating everyone's problems all the time. And when people have to wait or there's many urgent cases going on, somebody who might be perceived as less urgent, maybe even because of how they can talk about their problem, they don't necessarily get the help because of people have to put things in priority. And that's a tough decision to make. When you have a peer support worker who's in the waiting room talking to people, it gives that person a chance to really get into the details and not just talk to someone for five minutes so they know what the problem is when the doctor comes to find them whenever they can.
1: I don't want to sound morose or macabre here, but Adam, are we at a tipping point here? And has all this mental health awareness uh, created a situation, a double-edged sword, where we have people who are now more aware as ever uh, about mental health issues, maybe as comfortable as ever about cover- coming forward? And we don't have the resources to, to match up with, with folks who are who are... Uh, taking that bold and courageous step to ask for help?
4: Two, three, five years ago, you didn't see someone with, the mental, most people with a mental health problem until it was too late Or only tell you, were treating the crisis moment because they'd already done something to themselves or in their life. Now people are trying to go so they don't get there, and the service is built for what happens to respond to a crisis. It's so what an emergency room is. After something has happened, they're there to help you. Um, when you go there before something's happened, you get put behind where something's already happened. And so there should be a service for for the middle. And that's where peer support workers in the hospital, that's where peer support workers not in the hospital make a difference for people. That peer support system out of the hospital exists now. Um, you can call 204-786-0987. You could do it right now. You could do it until 9 tonight and actually talk to somebody that's offering you peer support before you hit that, that pinnacle point.
0: What needs to happen to get peer support into the emergency room?
4: Uh, People at Manitoba Health need to decide that that's the venue that they want to take. They need to look at the pros and the cons and how it's going to work and then institute policy. I mean, unfortunately, it's not a, you know, it's not a, something that you can take lightly because just like everything else, they need to make sure that it's, you know, how it's going to work and how to make it work best.
0: Okay. Adam Milne, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 We Very much appreciate the time uh, today and when you came to visit us just a few weeks ago. Adam Milne is with the Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba, volunteer coordinator and outreach worker, talking about peer support. The uh, MDAM proposing an initiative that peer support be offered in the emergency rooms to alleviate wait times and help with people who are under duress or are distressed. Coming up to 157. Neil, I know you're on the line. Just stand by, we'll talk to
1: you off the air. Global News at 2 o'clock, followed by Kelly Keane all up next. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you on this Tuesday afternoon. And before we move on to the next topic, Brett, just really want to give out the Manitoba Suicide Prevention and Support Line, 1-877-453-7100, 877-453-7170, We're getting several text messages from people who are complimenting the system, those that are struggling within the system, and those that are just simply uh, sharing their story. And I want to thank you for doing that. And uh, just know that just do not give up. Keep asking for help. Uh, It's not worth it to uh, try and solve these things on your own. Please take it from me that uh, searching for that right specialist and that individual that cares, that understands the predicament that you're in, understands what's going on in your mind with your body. It is completely worth the effort. You are worth the effort. And I just want to beg and plead with you to uh, to just to keep fighting along because it's the best decision you can make every single day. 877 435 7 0 that's the Manitoba suicide prevention and support line and as Mary Jo said that's not just for those in distress that's for friends and family members who think they have a friend or family member in distress and also if you your life has been affected by suicide in the in the past and you're looking for support that's a place that you can get that I think we'll transition with a little bit of music I know it it's a great tune it is a great tune donna summer she works hard for the money there was real no uh, gentle way you call me the king of segues yeah there was no way to segue out of that conversation into this one thank you donna summer for doing that we're so thrilled as we uh have every two weeks thrilled to welcome to the program kelly Keene. it's money mondays
0: Kelly Keane is a personal finance educator. She is a consumer advocate for the Financial Planning Standards Council, and she joins us live once again on 680 CJOB.
1: Kelly, welcome back.
8: Good day. Thanks for having me, Brett and Greg.
1: How's your weekend, Kelly?
8: You know what? Weekend was fantastic. It's a little miserable here. I think we're having the same weather as you. I'm in Edmonton right now. It's windy. It's rainy. It's a little gloomy. It's uh, (laughs) it's
1: apropos for a Monday. Uh, No, it's 27, sunny. (gasps) We had a glorious weekend yesterday. I mean, we had a deluge on Saturday. Absolute downpour. But yesterday, Brett, would you agree? Yesterday might have been the most perfect day of the summer. It was pretty good yesterday. Yeah, it was pretty good. Not a lot of wind.
0: Yeah, it was calm, it was sunny, it was, uh, yeah, it was, I don't think there was a single cloud in the sky yesterday. Kelly.
8: Amazing. Yeah, Summer in Canada is a beautiful, beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, well, you know, Edmonton's great, but Winnipeg might be better, Kelly. Just <laughs> saying. I'd love to see more of you.
8: Okay, I, I'm coming, I'm coming soon, I'm heading over. Okay, <laughs> heading we, can't,
1: over. we can't wait to see you. Awesome. Hey, you know, one thing that I think both genders battle with is <laughs> that conversation whether it's at the beginning of employment or at some point before you terminate uh, <laughs> there's a freudian slip <laughs> your, <laughs> your employment is terminated either uh, on your own volition or by your by your bosses and by your employers is this idea of how to broach the subject and how to negotiate our salaries because uh, we could be leaving a lot of money on the table if we if we don't do that sooner than later
8: Yeah, it's huge. And so many people, I mean, as polite Canadians, we are not taught to negotiate. We're not taught to negotiate little things like our cell phone bill or the annual fee on our credit card, let alone huge things. And, you know, you have that little Freudian slip about uh, the resignation or termination. People are, I talk to Canadians about this all the time, and They're fearful about asking for more. They don't know how to ask for more. They're scared that they might lose the job that they've got. They're just, you know, especially with a lot of young folks coming out um, of school, so grateful to get a position, they might not have any idea that they could ask for more. And it's a real issue. Now, it is more of an issue, I have to say, for women than it is for men. There is a book called Women Don't Ask. Um, I love this book. It, it's powerful, and the authors suggest, they don't suggest, they report that um, men negotiate their salary, their starting salary, eight times, as many times as women do, and by that one misstep for her, she is leaving on the table over her working lifetime over a million dollars. So, like, that's huge money. Um, But it also, you know, for the guys out there, too, that are asking, good for you, but not every guy is asking, and and certainly more and more women have to ask. So, yeah, you bet. This is a big one. Um, I'm going to refer to a website called financialplanningforcanadians.ca because that website, uh, I interviewed Dr. Moira Summers, who's from Winnipeg. We were in Winnipeg filming a bunch of videos with her. She is fantastic. She's uh, a neuropsychologist that specializes in money issues. I, th- I know you guys have had her on the show before. She's amazing. Um, and, and we talk about how to negotiate your salary. And one thing she talked about is, you know, getting help, if you can, from someone like a certified financial planner or from a coach. But if you can't, just to role-play it out with, um, you know, with different family or different friends and I got to tell you, I've talked to a couple CEOs as well and asked them about this. And they said, even when they're going to negotiate their starting salary they role play it they they think about it they speak the words out they they don't just think that confidence comes from i don't know comes from somewhere some of us are confident some of us aren't it really is practice so i'll throw it back to you gentlemen and you let me know what you think have you negotiated do you you know have you had an easy time it's it's kind of
0: tricky i have actually on multiple occasions uh tried to tried to or ask for a, a salary increase here. Uh-huh. Uh you, typically I, I, the look on the face of, of various management was I think that was a they were wishing that they had a fish bonker handy <laughs> that they could use on me to chase me
1: out of the room. So
0: I have no. I've tried.
1: I have tried. And I actually didn't that long ago have a conversation about uh, prospect for a starting wage and actually had the individual <laughs> the other side of the table suggests that maybe you should be asking for more. (laughs) Amazing. Yes. So uh, I am one of those polite Canadians as uh, business savvy as I think I am. I, you know, as you know, I do other investments and, and sometimes you have to have very frank conversations about dollars and cents when you're buying or selling a piece of real estate. Uh, Typically the benefit there is that you have a real estate agent who's Mm -hmm. buffering those discussions. It would be awesome if I could have an agent that could do (laughs) my bidding for me. And I think a lot of us feel that way.
8: Isn't that the truth? And, you know, like you said, the, the polite Canadians thing, and we got to also look at other areas in our life where we're leaving so much money on the table because we're not asking. And when it comes to our job, and good for you, Brett, for, for asking, um, it doesn't always have to be money. It could be a better office. It could be more time off. It could be uh, your employer funding some kind of conference. That that would be great for your resume or some extra education. Like the thing is, is we're not practiced in asking. And um, I don't know about you, gents, but I grew up. I think I've talked to about this on your show before. Um, you know, my mom was a single mom raising three kids. Money was really, really tight, uh, sometimes non-existent, and she had to negotiate. She had to barter. She had to hustle. She Had to, you know, and I remember being so incredibly uncomfortable. Even to this day, I would just be like, oh, God, could I just be invisible? And I grew up thinking that only poor people Mm. negotiated, asked for more, looked for discounts. And it was only when I was in the financial industry and witnessed my very wealthy clients negotiating or asking for a better rate on a GIC, like, like, like you said, Greg, it would be great if we had an agent asking for all of these things for us, but we don't realize how much we can get, you know, more stuff or get a better rate or just by negotiating the rate on your mortgage. And locking that in, let's say if you locked in, that could save you tens of thousands of dollars over the life of your mortgage. Um, I travel a lot, so I'm constantly asking for upgrades. I'm asking for free stuff at hotels. Now, the thing is, you have to be um, practiced. You have to have a playful spirit. You don't have to be rude, which is the great thing for a lot of people listening. Uh, and, of course, you do have to be willing to hear no, uh, as, as Brett said, or get a funny face from someone. But, um, y- you know, you never know what you're going to get if you, if you don't try.
1: Kelly King joins us as she does every other Monday. It's Money Mondays. Kelly is a personal finance educator. Consumer advocate, Financial Planning Stan- Standards Council of Canada. Kelly Keen, K E L L E Y K E E H N, is her website dot com. And Kelly, does a lot of this come from us not understanding the bargaining power that we are, have? Like I think about applying for a mortgage, and you go and you get, and you go, okay. Well, I hope they give it to me. Um, I hope there's nothing on there that will have. And then when they come back and they go, well, you know what? We managed to get you into this. And so because we don't know our credit rating, we don't Mm. know how the credit bureau or the bank views us. We're just happy to get approved for the loan in the first place. We're just happy to get the job in the first place. And so we don't understand the bargaining power that we have because we haven't done our homework on other things.
8: Wow. That is so astute and so accurate. And you're absolutely right. And um, I've talked about this on your sister stations across Canada. And when I, I left the studio and then sat in the car listening to what kind of some of the other callers were and stuff like that, they're like, that girl's crazy. You can't just negotiate stuff and ask for more. And the host like you was like, yeah, actually you can. And, but you're right. You need to do your homework. You need to know what your power is. And, and let's take your example of a bank and a mortgage. You're right. We come in there, and you feel so, you know, that they're like parental. They're going to grant you something, and you hope, you hope you're going to get it. It's your dream. You've told your friends that you want this home. And, uh, and a lot of times people get, um, you know, they get into lending products they should not be in. They should get into subprime lending, as we saw in the U.S., because they're so desperate to have anyone take them. They don't negotiate that rate. And you're right, they don't see uh, banks, lenders, credit card companies as, as, as a business and that they do have that power. But as you also pointed out, if you don't know your credit score, you don't know, you know how it works, right? Like uh, For instance, if you had the hat on of a business owner and let's say you owned a restaurant and you had somebody coming into your restaurant every single week, and they asked, hey, do you think if I bring more friends and family and you can give me a 5% discount, you'd probably be like, yeah, sure, that that makes sense. Well, the bank is also uh, a business, and the more stuff you have with them, the more products you have with them, uh, the better they treat you. So just knowing some of those things also helps in that negotiating process, but education is absolutely, absolutely key, you bet.
0: Kelly, can you stick around with us after? We just got to check our forecast here. You know it. All right, Kelly Keen, thank you so much. We're going to continue our chat after our forecast. Her website is com. That's spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N, com. She is a personal finance educator, consumer advocate, and financial planning standards counsel. And Greg, maybe after our forecast, I'll tell Kelly what I was told by, I and mean, then I'm not Throwing anyone under the bus here, but I, 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 when I, one of the in one of my negotiation sessions, I was given a rather interesting answer. So mm. I can maybe uh, we'll share that, and Kelly can offer some advice on what. I could do next time, if that's what I'm told. It is 219 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. And she is Kelly Keen. She is our guest. Her website is KellyKeen.com. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y-K-E-E-H-N. It's Money Monday with Kelly Keane. She is a personal finance educator, a consumer advocate for Financial Planning Standards Council. And, Kelly, we're talking about... Negotiations today, and you use the uh, the example of negotiating a salary. So I explained that I have tried to negotiate, <laughs> failed negotiations, but I tried. And uh, you know, we like to be honest on this show. I am not going to point any fingers, but a couple of years ago, in one of these negotiations, I was told, point blank, it's easier. It would be easier to get more money for a new employee, for a new hire, than somebody who's already been working for the company. Like, I've been with the company for almost 15 years now. So I was told, if you're a new hire, we could probably get you more money, but because you're already in the company, it's harder to get you more money. So what what could a, a potential response in that sort of a negotiation for somebody be?
8: Wow. And that I think that's true so often. I think that's why people find that they jump from, you know, position to position or company to company to get, to get those extra dollars. That's really unfortunate to hear. It's, it's kind of like, you know, how you get all those incentives as a new customer with your cell or, or Internet or something of that sort, and then you're this loyal customer for, like, 5, 10, 15 years, and you call them up. They're like, oh, no, there's nothing that we can do for you. And you're like, why do I have to jump ship? So, I mean, you obviously would have the option to jump ship, but I, I think what you could ask that person is, well, the powers that be have to give me some option. Like, it's very expensive to hire a new person. Uh, yes, there's that um, need to get them in right away, and maybe that's why more dollars are offered, but it's, it's so costly. So as Greg was saying before the break, I think you really have to do a lot of research before you go into your employer and say, look, in this industry, um, based on my position – this is what I know others are getting, and I feel that I'm worth this because my ratings are this or whatever, uh, and I know it would cost this much for a new hire, so how can we make this happen? How, how can this be win-win for everyone? Now, if you're new, let's say you're new, and you just want to know, when can I ask for a raise? When can I ask for more money? I don't think there's anything wrong with seeing your HR person sitting down with your boss and saying, look, let's say it was you, Brett, you just started out. Look, I don't know what my ratings are yet. I don't even know what I need to do to be a great host and get an increase, but I'm really dedicated to getting that increase, and I want to see my salary go up in 18 months. So why don't you give me the top five or 10 things that I can do, and then I'll check back with you in six months, and I'll check back with you at that 18-month mark, um, month mark and really look forward to getting that raise. Like, I can't see a reasonable boss um, you know, maybe it's bringing in more income. Maybe the boss says, well, you know what, we've got no money and you go, great. So can I help bring in some sponsors? Can I help bring in some more money that could justify my increase? Um, you know, I think if you kind of think of yourself as a business owner too, um, that can help. And then if, if at the end of the day, um, you get a brick wall saying, nope, nothing you can do. Um, then I think you have a hard decision to make if you want to stay at that company or not.
1: I was using the analogy off air with Brett and I use it with my kids. And this is one (laughs) that some people have a hard time wrapping their head around. So I'll make it as simple as I can. I always say I don't never go camping with things that I'm not prepared to come home without. And so that means if I go into a conversation about buying a car, getting a mortgage or raising my job, I have to be prepared to walk away to make my point to show you how serious I am.
8: Yeah, that's that's really tough, and, and you're right. That is an important tool in any kind of negotiation. If it's, you know, getting your bank fees uh, reduced or eliminated or getting that. My mom, every single uh, year, gets her credit card uh, annual fee taken off. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They tell her not to call back. They're like, we're going to do it one last time for you. She does <laughs> threaten to close her account. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you know, there's the research, there's the walking away, there's the ability to accept to know, and then you also have to look at time, right? How much time do you have? How important is it to you? But, my gosh, there's so much that we're leaving on the table by not asking. Um, It's really important. That's great advice, uh, Greg, really good advice.
0: 227. Thank you so much, Kelly. We appreciate the time, as always, and we'll talk to you in a couple of Mondays. Or, actually, you know what? I think two Mondays from now is a holiday. It is.
1: We're gonna and have we'll to take ne- a
8: little money break, and we'll <laughs> talk after that. We're gonna
1: have to negotiate, Kelly. Uh, I look forward to negotiating with you.
8: Thanks, gentlemen. Enjoy your beautiful, warm week.
1: Yeah, I hope you uh, heat up there in Edmonton too, Kelly. KellyKeen.com is the website.
0: She is a personal finance educator, consumer advocate with the Financial Planning Standards
1: Council. Two thirty-four Monday afternoon. Look what the cat dragged in. Bubba Burnus is in studio with us. Bubba, what's, no, I'm not going to ask you what brings you here, because I know why you're here. Because I'm a huge fan. No, that's not why. You've got uh, maybe some good news for some people who are waiting on the line. I hope so, yeah. Bubba is our, what is your title here?
9: Promotions manager, very official.
1: Oh, I thought you had some sort of directorship or something. I ladies. think it was director, but I her. got
9: downgraded. Yeah.
0: <laughs> anyway. He's oh. just, I, I, I had to ask because I just know him as the guy I go harass when I need tickets for something. Nice. Yeah, well,
1: mm, interesting. <laughs> there might be a clue there. So this morning, Kim Lawson is uh, scouring the social medias as she's uh, apt to do. And our friends at the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba put out a tweet suggesting that... Uh, Couple of patients. Well, one patient would would love a couple of tickets to see Bruno Mars, which is coming up here at Bell MTS Place in a couple of weeks. Here, August second. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's that's quick. Yeah. So a week Wednesday. A week Wednesday. Yeah. Wow. Holy crow. The summer is uh, flying by. And uh, well, why don't we bring on Sarah? Sarah, we you using your last name today. No, that's okay. No, and uh, and I figured that was the answer, but I just wanted to, to double-check with you. Sarah is uh, a friend of the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba, and her daughter, Michaela, has been going through a life-changing experience, uh, one that every parent dreads. And let's start by asking, how is Michaela doing these days? She's doing okay
9: right
10: now. She's... Um just enjoying being off for the summer and spending lots of time with, with her family.
1: So, Michaela's six. Why don't you tell us a little bit uh, about the, your story and her story and, and your journey?
10: Well, in early 2014, she was having a lot of really bad stomach pains. And after going to the doctors several times and getting, you know, new diagnosis all the time, and then finally we had, in September... Of 2014, she had an ultrasound and on the ultrasound they found a grapefruit-sized tumor um, that was also wrapped around her kidney and some main arteries. And so she had six rounds of chemotherapy, one, um, one heavy-duty round of chemo that wiped out her entire um, immune system and she had a stem cell transplant, and everything was great, and um, she just, in February, she just, she started losing weight this year, and um, we were very, we were quite concerned, so one day she was passing out at school, so we took her to the hospital, and then they told us that she had um, a new antibody in her spinal fluid, which was caused by the cancer itself.
0: I was looking at a picture, uh, Sarah, that Greg showed me. It was a picture of Michaela, and she yeah. uh, had she had no hair. She's surrounded by hospital equipment, but she had this huge smile on her face. I could hear Greg saying, "Oh, she's so cute," and I turned and looked at this picture, <laughs> yeah. and and it was it was an interesting sort of contrast to see a child who has clearly gone with the, the no hair. There's something clearly a, a traumatic, a, a serious. Uh, experience and then of course the the cold the coldness of all the hospital equipment but this bright warm smile on her face uh, what has that been like having to sort of go through this this mixed mixture where it's still a child and the child is resilient but there's this incredible task at hand for you and the family
10: um i think I think for me it's a relief because she's just showing how strong she is, and she really is a tough little cookie. She's gone through so much and still has such a bright smile on her face and still has such a positive outlook on absolutely everything. Even going to the hospital and getting a poke, and, you know, it's it's better than being sick and hooked up to all these IVs and poles and fluids and medicines. And...
1: Now, Michaela's six now, Sarah? She's still
10: um, going through some of the treatment for the new antibody that they found. So as soon as this treatment is finished, it's a watch watch and wait kind of a thing. We just have to keep an eye out for any symptoms if they should return and then if they do return, then it's back to the same treatment again. It's...
1: So is Michaela planning to, will she be going into grade one in September or kindergarten? She'll be going into grade two in September. Oh my gosh. Oh, It yes. happens so quick, doesn't it? She's very, very excited. And how, how are her friends and, and the support that you get with, with, with her school uh, must be tremendous.
10: Yeah. The school, her school is actually very, very um, accommodating. They're very understanding and her, her teacher sends homework and stuff and, when she was in the hospital in February and March, um, Michaela had said that she felt like she wasn't learning anything. So her teacher was kind and sent home some some schoolwork for her to do while she was in the hospital.
1: So she's uh, driven and understands that uh, this is no "quote unquote" excuse. She's still getting uh, she's still getting homework and has to keep up. And by the oh, sounds yeah. of things, that she's determined to get ahead a little bit.
10: She is. Yeah she she likes to learn.
1: So, I'm guessing she likes music just a tiny little bit, Michaela.
10: She does love music. Music was a great pastime for her.
0: Does she have any favorites?
10: Uh, she does, actually. She loves Bruno Mars.
0: How did that come about? Do you know uh, how long has she liked Bruno Mars for?
10: Um. Well, my older daughter was always into it before, and I don't know, Michaela just... Really started listening to his music and listening
1: to it more and more, and watching his YouTube videos, and she just loved him. Sarah, I'm guessing you're outside now. We're getting a fair amount of wind, a fair bit of wind noise on your phone line. Just wondering if you could uh, turn with your back to the wind or something similar. Is this
4: better? Is that that better?
1: That's a little bit better. Absolutely, it is. So, uh, Brent Burness is in our uh, in our studio here. We just call him Bubba. He is the prize guru, and, uh, well, your friends over at the Children's Hospital Foundation of Manitoba sent out a tweet about a little girl wanting to go see Bruno Mars. Can anybody help out? And within less than, I would say, 120 seconds of reading that tweet, uh, Kim Lawson, executive producer here at 680 CGOB, and myself went down to Bubba's office, and we said, hey, uh, anything we can do. So, Bubba, you can take it from there.
9: Hi, Sarah. Uh, Bruno Mars is going to be a tough ticket Two tickets are going to be really tough And we're hoping to make your, uh, your day for Michaela Unfortunately we can't do two tickets We can probably do four tickets If that works better for the show so Oh my god, yes The whole family can go and enjoy it together Thank you Hopefully that'll uh, make Michaela's day A nice day with Bruno Take mom, maybe the sisters, maybe a friend
10: Oh my gosh,
9: that's so amazing Thank you so much and That's courtesy of uh, Greg Brett, CJOB, Kim Lawson, we're happy to help out.
0: Thank you. Our pleasure. So she's going to go see Bruno Mars. That's kind of neat.
10: So exciting.
1: Sarah, thanks for sharing this story with us. And uh, please give Michaela all of our best, all our best wishes for continued recovery. And we hope she has a heck of a time. At Bruno Mars, August 2nd, downtown at Bell MTS Place. And she's uh,
10: actually
1: listening right now. Is she? Hey, Michaela. Hi, Michaela. I hope you have a blast at the concert coming up August 2nd. I don't even know what day of the week that is. Wednesday. It's Wednesday, but it's summer (laughs) holidays. So who cares? It's great. (laughs) Gonna be a late night. Have a blast, Michaela. And uh, if you wanna take your sister, you can. Is she there? Thank you. Oh, hi, Michaela. You're so welcome. Well, maybe we'll talk to you after the concert. You can tell us how you enjoyed it, okay? Oh, I'm sure she'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, have a great time, and please uh, keep us uh, informed of how things go with Michaela's health, and of course, uh, how how she enjoys the concert. Okay? And uh, does Big Sis have a name that we can share or not? Emma. Emma, Emma, hope you have a good time as well. You thank your sister. You treat her good. Thank you so much. Okay. Oh, hey, Emma. Have a great time. <laughs> thank you. All right. Good to talk to you all. And uh, we're, we're so glad we were able to, to help here. And, uh, Bubba, thanks so much for making that happen. Anytime.
0: So, once again, we were just speaking with Sarah, who is the mother of Michaela, who is six years old, going into grade two this September. She has been dealing with cancer for a couple of years, and she's a huge fan of Bruno Mars, her and her sister, Emma. And now the two of them, and mom, and someone else.
2: Four people.
0: Maybe maybe dad. Are going to see Bruno Mars next Wednesday on August 2nd, courtesy of Bubba and 680 CJOB. Uh, way to go, you guys, in, in orchestrating this. So that's really
1: cool. Uh, I was just one ask, man. I mean, this is the magic man over here. He, you know, and when it comes to kids, uh, he pretends not to like them, but <laughs> deep down inside, we know he adores, he adores the kids. I
9: pretend to like everybody, uh, uh, dislike everybody equally.
1: <laughs> well, that's great. I'm going to have to rethink our, our entire relationship, Brent. <laughs> Thanks, Bubba. We of appreciate course. it.
0: 2.45 on 680 CJOB. Your forecast is up next.
1: How's the golf game yesterday and the next to no wind?
0: <laughs> uh, the golf game started off great. It was out at Kingswood in LaSalle, which is, it is a course that if it's a little windy, there are some holes that can be rather troublesome. And uh, when it's, but I mean, it's still a, a fun course. I love it so much. And uh, it started off great, but then by the back, it was hot yesterday. And I think I i almost, I, I hate to say it, but I think I could have used a slight breeze. And I realize that is something to nitpick about, but oh. I, I'm just, I was, I was dogging it on the back. I was really dragging my heels and I played poorly, but hey, you know what? I was outside. It was a beautiful day. I was playing golf, doing what I love to do. So I'm not complaining. I was saying
1: if I could change anything, maybe
0: (laughs) just a slight breeze.
1: I will not judge you because I was a downhill skier for uh, three full seasons up at Silver Star near Vernon. And of course, you wanted snow and lots of it, but only at night.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) I hope we get 30 centimeters, but only at night. Because uh, then you get up and you get the fresh powder up on the hill. But um, yeah, so... As much as we love what we do, sometimes we're pretty fussy about how we do it, right? Yeah, for sure. And like I said, I,
0: I think I just wasn't quite prepared for it to be as hot as it ended up being. And yeah. uh, I just, I was really, like I, I went through, I think, normally I'll have maybe a, a bottle of water, but I went through three, no problem. So I was just, I uh, was really sort of dogging it. And as a result, didn't play my best round. Started off the best round of my life and it ended up <laughs> being an average round of mediocrity.
1: Well, we've, we've discussed on this program many times. The I- ideal round of golf should be around 12 holes. So maybe you need to lobby a little bit harder to make that a reality.
0: Uh, you know what? I, you have, I, oh sorry, sorry. yeah, sorry. yeah okay. I like the 18. Oh, Usually right. I find that I'm just, when I'm getting to 18, that's when I'm just warming up. Mm.
1: So maybe you need to hit more balls before you go down the need to hit 36 holes, I think. Yeah, there you go. Hey, um, you saw my response last week when the city announced they were trying a pilot project on Bannatine Avenue that they were going to be installing angled parking. And mm-hmm. I'm doing the angled parking action reminiscent of Ron Howard in Happy Days Once Upon a Time when he was running for class president. He said, everyone can agree that angled parking... It's much easier to get into than non-angled parking. Well, this is with a twist, of course. You need to reverse into the angled parking spot. And I was thrilled because I'd seen this in Penticton, British Columbia, probably 20 years ago. And they did it as a project, pilot project there. And within about a year, they switched it back because people couldn't handle it.
0: Really? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. This is like the greatest thing ever invented in terms of parking. And it's not only the getting into the spot is way easier than parallel parking, but getting out, you get to take a peek at the oncoming traffic and you just kind of pull in, right? Because backing out into traffic in a traditional angled parking situation is not good. It's not safe. I agree with those that are against the angled parking, but when you try it backing in, it's brilliant. Now, my enthusiasm was tempered by the fact that I believe they're doing this on the wrong side of the street and they're a logistic logistical considerations for this particular section of Bannatine where I can see why after going there tonight, uh, last night, why they had to do it this way, but they're eliminating a, a great deal of the benefit. And that is that based on how they did it on Bannatyne you have to look across your car through the passenger window to see the oncoming traffic. It's still better than backing out, but it's not as good as it ought to be. And I voiced my concern about that on the air when we had the discussion last week. And uh, at least one person, I think misconstrued my uh, my lack of enthusiasm, shall we say? <laughs> this is uh, from
0: uh, one of our regular listeners who who goes by the name Sleal. And, uh, Sleel, by the way, in case you're listening, I love getting emails from you. I always like to say to Sleal, usually I respond with, ah, Sleal, you're such a grump. And I enjoy it because I just picture Sleel, you know, sitting at an old typewriter, like Grandpa <laughs> Simpson, just typing up some sort of angry letter, you know, old man yells at cloud. That's what I picture Sleel, the fist in the air constantly. <laughs> Grr. So... In relation to this situation on Bannatyne between Waterfront and Rory, which used to be two-way, is now a one-way section. The angle parking spots are on the south side of the street. So I also talked about how I'm not... I will fully admit, I'm not the best parallel parker. I don't drive all that well in reverse because I don't ever have to do it. When we used to... when. The station was in Wolseley at 930 Portage, and I lived in Osborne Village. I had to parallel park all the time. Now, I don't have to do it, so I'm not very good at doing it. And I said this on the air. So Sleel emails and says, if you can't... This is to me
1: now. This is to me. The The email came to
0: me. If you can't back into an angled parking spot, you deserve to have your license revoked. I'm
1: liking this email as I'm, I'm reading this first
0: sentence, I have to admit. If you can't parallel park, you deserve you to have your license revoked. I'm looking at you, Greg Mackling. Anyone complaining about this should hand in their licenses. So I saw this note and I decided to reach out on Greg's behalf because I think Sleal was... Well, here, I'll just read what I said. Sleal. I believe you meant to aim your wrath in my direction. I'm the one who said I'm not all that great at parallel parking. I probably haven't parallel parked in seven years since we moved out of Osborne Village and Wolseley for work and personal reasons. Even if I drove downtown, if I had to go downtown, parallel parking is not a requirement. If I don't want to parallel park, I can find a parking lot or I can just drive around until I can find a spot that I can just drive into. So I will respectfully disagree with your hand in your license if you can't parallel park stance, but I appreciate your grumpiness, as always. And he replied and said, well, I appreciate that you appreciate my grumpiness, but this was actually for GMAC and him going on about them ruining angle parking because you have to back in. Blah, blah, blah. What's so hard about that? Anyway, we only have a few seconds left here. So he mixed up our messages. He thought that well, he basically took everything that we, the both of us said, put him in a blender, and then interpreted, I think, what he wanted to hear, which was, Greg hates angle, reverse angled parking, and the city shouldn't be doing it, and I jumped to his defense, and finally, Sleel said, ah, that makes more sense. I was working on the computer and only hearing out of one ear, thou mayest keep Vine licenses.
1: Yes! I was concerned that the license gods would show up on my doorstep or here at CJOB and revoke my license. I will parallel park for anyone at any time. I'm not saying I'm the world's greatest parallel parker, but I'll tell you, this reverse in angled parking is is at least 10 times easier than parallel parking. And everybody talks about, well, driving into a parking spot in a parkade. It's not the driving in that's difficult and dangerous. It's the backing out. People keep forgetting about the most difficult part of the whole process is at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? Go try it out because it's brilliant. Even though they've modified it from its original purpose and how it's supposed to be done, I give it a B plus. It would have been an A+, if it was on the proper side of the street. But I understand why they've done it the way they've done it. And uh, I would love to hear from those, not that conceptually disagree. I want to hear from people. I'm looking forward to hearing from people over the next few weeks that have actually gone down and done it and go, oh yeah, this is pretty good. Coming up to global news at three o'clock on 680 CJOB. 3.07 Monday afternoon. Don't forget tonight, Bob Irving's back in the building. Saw Bob this morning. He looks great. He's all set for tonight's coaches show as Mike O'Shea comes into the studio and dissects the Blue Bombers 45-42 loss in British Columbia to the Lions. Lots of outstanding questions for Coach O'Shea. And I imagine tonight's conversation will be a lively one. You can participate. You can give us a call at 780-6868 and you can be on the air live with the coach between 7 and 8 o'clock tonight right here on your voice of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers 680 CJOB. The words... Omar Cotter
0: have been a lightning rod in this country for several years now. And we even got a text message earlier. We were talking about road rage and somebody, it's further down here, but it was along the lines of just say the words Omar Cotter and that will trigger my road rage. Well, the Canadian press has sent us a feature. It's about the doctor who saved Omar Cotter's life. He is... Speaking out, and there is an exclusive Canadian press interview. Colin Perkle is the Canadian press reporter.
5: The experience of treating Cutter haunted Doc Boomer for years. And now, with all the anger over the federal government's reported $10.5 million payout to Cutter, Doc Boomer wants to offer his thoughts.
3: There's more to this story than just talking points. There's more to the story than this is a human life, this is, this is war, this is something that most people can't fathom and they want to be real quick to give an opinion just because it makes them feel good about themselves in some way. And I, I think that's what's kind of wrong with humanity.
5: At the time, Doc Boomer had little idea of who the casualty was.
3: You know, actually what was told to me when, when he was passed off was that, you know, this is possibly Osama bin Laden's houseboy. You know, so I thought that I was saving this key, vital source of information, you know, that was gonna save lives. You know, and so that was my mission at the time.
5: Despite his horrific wounds, the chopper crew insisted that the medic leave Cutter's hands tied behind his back, just in case.
3: He had flex cuffs on, and he was, um, you know, had been shot twice. So he's rocking his body around everywhere. At the time, I took it as, like, aggression. Like, he was like, you know, because you get this idea that everybody's jihad, and they're going to fight to their death, and they're going to push you out of the back. That fear was a little bit, maybe, unreasonable.
5: Doc Boomer says the incident has had a long-term impact on him.
3: He did look a lot like one of my cousins who I had a real close relationship with before. Their facial structures and everything, certainly when he was um, covered in rubble and, you know, and had blood and dirt and all that stuff, you know. All I seen was a kid that looked like a kid that I knew. And, you know, that may have been induced also by, you know, just my parasympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, and all the things that was happening at the time, you know, with the situation of being in the back of a helicopter and under gunfire and all these things. Um, but certainly it did give me some issues. Later on, when I was, I, I had um, some real issues being around my, my cousin and just just even seeing him was kind of, it always kind of like, flash back and forth between him and you know the kid with the gunshot wounds you know but most certainly he affected not he but the incident affected my sleep for a long time yeah I mean I I would have nightmares I would just see his face over and over and over again and um I would see the wounds and I would just kind of I would I would be right back there in that position where I'm on a knee I'm in the back of the helicopter I'm looking at this this body and every night, uh, you know, at some point in the night, i get there, and I'd be like, and i get stuck. It became just something that I, you know, talked over with my wife when, you know, when I was having bad dreams sort of thing.
5: The decorated medic, long retired now from the military, says he spent years wondering if he'd done the right thing, saving this terrorist who was accused of killing an American Special Forces soldier. But he now says he's glad he did. The view he knows might not be universally popular.
3: I meet a lot of resistance within my community, within the Spec Ops community. I wouldn't even say that's my community anymore, but you know, I have met some um, unfavorable, uh, you know, ideas based upon the way I think about this incident. But they weren't the ones there, and so they could say all they want, but you know, you only know how you're going to react if you're there.
5: Doc Boomer says he's had time to reflect on things over the years, and he now bears no ill will to Cutter. Someone he says he'd love to meet. And he hopes people will now let the Canadian just get on with his life.
3: Uh, barring that it, you know, turned me into some kind of, you know, terrorist in my own country or something for meeting or I, I don't know how this all goes, but at a human level, absolutely I'd like to meet him. I mean I'd like to look him in the eye and if he has some questions I'd like to answer those. Um I I don't feel that anything that has happened uh, has created a situation strong enough to create um, a sense in my mind where I can't see somebody as a human. You know, most of us are pawns in this game, you know? So I just kind of looked at it from that standpoint, and I see he's obviously torn. He's a young guy, you know? He's torn about what happened, what, if, if it happened, if whatever. I mean, I, none of us know. And to, for anybody to pretend that they do is is ridiculous. You know, the end of the day is uh, he's here and that's it. You know, and and he's got to move on. And and the other people that are upset about it, I mean, it already happened as well. I mean, they can be upset, but the reality is they don't understand the full story. I don't think any of us do. No matter how much you want to say, if you said you'd go through what he went through for $10 million, you're out of your mind.
0: Colin Perkle, the Canadian Press, Toronto. Once again, that is Colin Perkle, Canadian Press, speaking with a doctor who saved... Omar Cotter's life. It is 3.13 on 680 CJOB. We, still to come this half hour, we have stuff to give away, so wait for your queue to call for that. We will do that after traffic and weather.
1: Up next. 3.17, Monday afternoon, gorgeous day. Looks a little windy out there, but I'll take it. I'll take it over January. Hey, uh, just sitting here, I don't know if you saw it, Brett, but I saw the Google car go down Jack Blick Avenue with its uh, omni-lensed sort of golf ball, giant golf ball on the roof that goes around taking pictures of for all the street view stuff. Really? Yeah. Like it
0: came into the parking
1: lot? No, it just went down Jack Blick. I don't know where it's going. I, and Like I'm, Empress? No, Jack Blick right Well, here, that, well right, Jack where, Blick goes through the parking lot. It does? I thought it ran parallel to the parking lot.
0: Well, you, well, it drives through all of these parking lots.
1: Du- it does. Oh, well,
0: okay. d- d- Jack, what you were talking about, Jack, the street that comes into the in in between all of the various parking. Oh, lots. I just here. think of
1: that as a street. Okay. Okay. Anyway, yeah, I guess we are saying exactly the same thing. We're just viewing it two different ways. Anyway, the street view. Um, I know they did my bay my street last year, I'm wondering if they're here just to update it or I'm really hoping I'm getting retakes because <laughs> last year I was in the middle of painting my house mm-hmm. and my house, I'm looking at it right now, was half painted when they came down my street last year. Uh-huh. And so Jackie thinks it's very fitting that uh, our house is immortalized this way on Google because it took me about three and a half months to paint the front of the house last year and this is the way it looked most of the time last summer I'm hoping that they're here to retake the picture so that I can be it can be immortalized the way it looks now it's kind of funny to look at it right now
0: so do you whenever you tell somebody what your address is if they if you you have to sort of offer a disclaimer in the event that they are going to google maps to look at street view
1: that it doesn't look like that yeah yeah sort of and it's funny because people that have been coming to our house for years, for the last year, have been driving past our house because a lot of people don't know the number. They just know that they've been there before, but it looks so dramatically different really, that they're just driving past our house. Oh, oh yeah, I didn't realize it was so different. Yeah. So anyway, um, if I could make a request to the Google people, if you could redo my street, that'd be awesome. Thanks. How big is the camera that sits on top of the vehicle? I bet you it's, uh, I don't know. Like a big beach ball, maybe okay. a little bit bigger than that, kind of mounted on a roof rack. What kind of car? Was oh. it just like a little, like one a little Yeah, a little compact car, and it's green and white. It's all deckled up. It's tough to miss it because that golf ball slash beach ball thing on the roof has got about eight, nine, ten lenses on it. It's really cool. Neat. Yeah. So yeah. keep your eyes open for that. Yeah.
0: I, mean, I wish I could have seen it. I have never actually seen the Google car. So uh, that's cool, though. I remember... What do you mind he was the the Google Street view captured his neighbor gardening his garden taking care <laughs> of his garden Because uh, was he
1: bending over at the time?
0: uh, Well, she was a nice old lady who uh, they. She took meticulous care. Her and her husband took meticulous care of their home, and I guess while my friend was away at work, they took care of his home (laughs) as well. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah, uh, it's just funny that that's how his home was immortalized. We have a couple of minutes here. We have stuff to give away. Let's set the scene with what happened last year. The Professional Bull Riders
6: Monster Energy Canada Tour is in the Canadian heartland this week as we come to you from Winnipeg, Manitoba. As the fall season approaches, PBR stays hot with stop number three at the MTS Centre.
0: So that's last year. We want to send you this year to Professional Bull Riders PBR Canada coming back to Winnipeg Friday, October 6th at Bell MTS Place and this is the question that we are asking you today at 204-780-6868 how this is this is an easy one how long must a rider stay on the bull before it starts to count for a score 204-780-6868 is the number to call how long must a rider stay on a bucking bull before It starts to count for a score, 204-780-6868. If you know the answer, you could be going to PBR Canada Friday, October 6th at Bell
1: MTS Place. Luke Perry is not eligible to call in for this contest.
0: (laughs) Oh my God, are you talking about his movie that he did? (laughs) Oh, that's right. I forgot about that.
1: Everybody's trying to forget about that. I think Luke Perry's trying to forget about that.
0: Yeah, he uh, he he tried after Beverly Hills nine hundred two and zero to go on and have a movie career. I remember he had a small part in The Fifth Element, and for whatever reason, his career his film career never really took off.
1: Where are they now, Luke Perry? If you know where Luke Perry is two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight, send us a text.
0: Jason Priestley is on a show that's on Global. <laughs> um private eyes uh, yes thank you i couldn't remember i was thinking double take or something like that but yes private eyes that's the one uh that is on global tv for the summer it's now into its second season in the meantime it is three twenty-two. we will have a quick look at your forecast and then sports starting in two minutes
1: i knew luke perry was hanging out somewhere and doing things special on Netflix. Ah. Yes. It's on the CW show Riverdale. That's right. Riverdale. It's kind of loosely based on Archie Comics, isn't it?
0: Yeah, but it's like Archie Comics, but
1: sexy it's pretty and mysterious. It's pretty from what I understand. Anyway, thanks for the uh, text message uh, at 780-6868. I knew as soon as I asked the question. One of our brilliant listeners would have the answer to where in the heck is Luke Perry? And of course, Jason Priestley, you mentioned Private Eyes. I think there's season finales coming up on Global. That's a pretty good show. I'm a big fan of Jason Priestley, not just because he's Canadian. He's just, he doesn't take himself too seriously. And he's a halfway decent actor.
0: Yeah, no, he, he's he's versatile. He's because he was the the handsome guy on Beverly Hills nine hundred two and oh, and then he did that show. I think it was called Call Me Fitz. Great show, where he hilarious played, show. Actually, he, yeah, he played kind of a slob, sort of a con artist, just a real
1: scumbag yeah he was a slimy like a car dealership owner and a philanderer and was always getting himself into trouble just when he thought he'd figured things out he'd he'd, he'd kind of go to the dark side again anyway, that's enough nine oh two one oh reminiscing Uh, (laughs) we got this into the newsroom today and uh, well, I'll just read it. How about this? In its latest annual report on the state of protected areas in Canada, the Canadian parks and wilderness society is calling upon Manitoba to step up efforts to preserve more land by 2020. CPAWS pause, 2017 report from laggard to leader Canada's renewed focus on protecting mature Pardon me. Nature could deliver results, calls Canada out for ranking last among G7 countries in the percentage of land and freshwater protected for conservation purposes and encourages governments to accelerate the conservation of natural heritage in Canada, starting by delivering on their international commitment.
0: And our guest this afternoon is Ron Thiessen or is it Thiessen? Ron, is it Thiessen or Thiessen? I am sorry. Oh, good afternoon. It's uh, Teeson. Thanks for asking, Teeson. Okay, and uh, just want to make sure we get that right on the air. And Ron <laughs> is the chapter executive director with Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, or CPAWS. So first of all, Greg and I had a theory about this ten percent, and we'll get to that in a moment. But before we do that, is Canada really a, a laggard? That that seems like a rather harsh word.
11: I think it's surprising for a lot of people to to hear that. And In fact, yes, we are quite a laggard in terms of uh, the percentage of our landscape that we've protected. When you look at other G7 countries and uh, look at other large countries in the world, such as Australia and Brazil, Brazil's protected 29%, for example. So uh, even China, which has a very poor environmental track record overall, has protected 17% of its landscape. So it's a bit embarrassing for us.
1: Well, a lot of people look at our national park system and some of the provincial park systems as outstanding examples of of the good things that we're doing. And Brett mentioned that he and I shared a philosophy and a question. We told you we'd answer, you, ask you on this, and that was we may be at ten point six percent of the landscape currently being protected, but in terms of our square mileage, we must be near the top of the list on on this uh, on this file. Yes, no
11: uh we are close to top of the list in terms of acres protected um um however percentage wise we are certainly at the bottom of the list if uh, you, you know if it compares to the, to the united states for example who is not even a, has has even made the international commitments to protected areas that we have um uh, they protected more of their landscape with um Percentage-wise, with a far larger population base, so it's a much more challenging proposition for them to do so. Yet they've, you know, they've risen to the challenge much better than we have. So we certainly need to uh, increase the uh, political will and, um, you know, uh, listen to what scientists are saying. We need to protect nature and also what Canadians are saying that they want in terms of protecting nature. Uh, that said, I'm not sure what Jason Priestley would think about this. If you want to do a follow-up with him, I'd love to hear his thoughts on
0: it. Well, if, just, if, they're, if they're saying that Canada is last among G7 countries in the percentage of land and freshwater protected, so if 10% of Canada's landscape is protected, that's, that 10% is bigger than probably the United Kingdom and France and Italy and Germany combined.
11: Yes, it certainly is a, a lot of landscape, that's for certain. But, you know, when you consider that Canada, for example, has 24% of the, of the world's intact forests, we have a, a, a larger responsibility in terms of um, a- protecting acres than other countries do just because of the sheer size of Canada and the sheer value of our ecosystems in terms of uh, Earth's Life Support Network. Um, for example, the boreal forest, which covers... Um, most of Canada, eighty percent of Manitoba, in fact uh, has been deemed the northern lungs of the planet, so not only does it provide oxygen to us here but it also does for the globe so it's it's a very important global responsibility that we have, and it would be great if we can uh, accelerate the efforts to 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 live up to that uh, great 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 responsibility that we have.
1: Ron Thiessen joins us now, and we are talking about this report coming from the Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, (CPAWS). and Ron Thiessen is the Chapter Executive Director joining us here from Winnipeg. So what could we be doing differently here in Manitoba? What is it that we're doing instead of protecting wilderness that might have your organization concerned, Ron? Well, certainly one thing we
11: could be doing is there's... um Large resource management areas that have been identified in Manitoba's north, and um, there's mandates for um, plans to be developed for those large areas. And what we could do is look at those areas for the long term and plan them for both conservation and for. Um, sustainable economic growth and developments, Uh, so economic prosperity as well as for preserving our natural heritage. It's it's a great opportunity that some jurisdictions in the world have lost. You know, uh, Europe comes to mind where they've lost over 99% of their natural wild landscapes, Uh, and they didn't plan that. It just happened piece by piece. But we have an opportunity to learn from that and, and look at our large landscape that's still healthy in many ways and plan for a healthy balance of conservation and sustainable developments.
0: You mentioned the United States has protected more of its landscape in terms of percentage than Canada has. Do you happen to know what that percentage is in the United States?
11: Um, The United States has protected 13% of its landscape, and um, they've done so under um, much more challenging political uh, challenges that we have here in Canada. So uh, certainly uh, we commend them for that by comparison to what we've done here in Canada.
1: And Ron, as as we're discussing this, and I'm hearing you speak on this, you're not advocating for some sort of radical. Uh, sort of approach to this. One thing that you've pointed out is that Canada's committed to making 17% of land and inland waters uh, conserved territory by 2020. And you're also advocating for a balanced approach. You're not saying no economic development whatsoever. You're saying we need to uh, sit down, talk about this and and figure out how to do this in a sustainable fashion, not to put words in your mouth.
11: Well, that's exactly right. Uh, We have uh, an incredible opportunity to, you know, To use the overused expression, have our cake and eat it too, in the sense that we have a big landscape, we have a small population base, so we have an opportunity for economic growth in regards to developing our natural resources. We also have a great opportunity to maintain our ecosystems, so we have clean air, clean water to drink, um, a moderate climate, and to protect our thriving wildlife populations.
1: Well, as we're learning with Lake Winnipeg, once you let it go, it's just about impossible to get it back. So uh, my opinion is that it's easier to uh, take these steps in advance versus letting things go to pot and then uh, having to try and uh, reclaim these uh, situations that have gone horribly awry.
11: Well, that's exactly right. The, the best way to um, maintain ecosystems is to protect them in the first place. Uh, you know, Europe comes to mind, again, where there's many cases in the world. Germany, for example, is spending a lot of money trying to rewild areas. And uh, for one, it's extremely expensive. And for two, it's also experimental. It may not work.
0: All right, Ron Teeson, thank you so much for joining us today on 680 CJOB. Ron Teeson is the Chapter Executive Director of Canadian Parks and Wilderness Society, also known as CPAWS, talking once again about how Canada is in last place among G7 countries in terms of the percentage of land and freshwater protected for conservation purposes. But the government is uh, committing, or it looks like they're look, pushing towards to get to at least 17% by 2020.
1: That's only three years from now. Yeah. Hard to imagine that you'd increase that percentage by 60% is really what we're talking about, to get it from 10.6 to something close to 17. So uh, we'll keep an eye on this story. And and yes, the math is important, but that percentage, I think, is is critical. I think it's a, it's a fair... Uh, conversation and fair comment from CPAWS based on the commitment that was made uh, to make this happen. And like I said, to try and reverse something that we've altered, is pretty darn tough. It's just easier to save it in the first place. 3:48 on 680 CJOB. We will talk about
0: traffic as well as weather, and then we will hear from Richard Kluczyk and Brittany Greenslay to tell us what's coming
1: up on the news. Starting in two minutes. Good thing I wasn't being called as an eyewitness to identify the Google Maps Street View car. Not only is there kind of that soccer ball or beach ball size thing, there's like a I don't know three or four foot tele. <laughs> scopic (laughs) arm on top of the car. (laughs) Kind of forgot about that part of the Google Street View machine, which is uh, in Winnipeg. Just saw it drive past our location here at CJOB, so make sure you... Wear a clean T-shirt and then or smiling wherever you go over the next couple of weeks. As wash the, your car. That's right, wash your car or finish painting your house, as the case may be. Richard Cluque, Brittany Greenslade in studio with us. Julie Buckingham enjoying one more week of holidays. Brittany, nice to have you back on the team and in the studio this afternoon. It's been a very busy day in the news.
12: Oh my goodness, it has been a busy day. We've got a uh, officer that shot somebody earlier. That we've been talking about that all afternoon here. It has some police closures. Road closures going on there. So, we're going to be looking a little bit further into that and talking to Zane Tesler from the Independent Investigation Unit. That is the police watchdog group that oversees any sort of investigation that involves a police officer.
1: Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe will also join us after your four o'clock news. Lots going on, as Brittany said. But we have to chat about, and we have to f- post this on Facebook. Yes. This is uh, the ultimate, I think, uh, toe jam incident. On an airliner. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, I saw this. This is this would make me vomit. Plain see, and simple. I
12: hate feet on a good day. Like, don't don't get your toes anywhere near me. It's disgusting. I cringe when people just take their shoes off and they're wearing socks. Airplane etiquette is what we're talking about, and it's going to uh, involve. We'll show. You'll we'll, we'll, you'll see the picture. Some nasty feet. And right beside you, I'm right wiggling beside the toes, you, wiggling the toes by
1: oh, it's just,
12: oh, thirty thousand feet. What? What do you do?
1: Literally thirty thousand. feet. What do you feet. do? Yeah, uh, I don't know. What I would guess. you have done?
12: Ugh. You're thrown up Ugh. on said feet. I, I, oof, I don't know. <laughs> I fly a lot, and and that's
1: that would taste. That would test your Canadianism, right? And your and your Canadian. Yeah. Uh, Core value to be polite. So
12: yeah, I got a little bit of road rage, so I think that might come oh, out. in Full disclosure:
1: um, I think guys, we're all wearing socks and shoes today. Yes, sir. Oh, Somebody <laughs> here is in flip flops
12: uh-huh. uh-huh. I didn't say my feet, Chris. Oh, how do you
1: spell yeah. that? H Y P O
12: C. people's
0: feet. <laughs> Richard Klutz and Brittany Greenslight, thank you very much. The news from four until seven on six eighty CJB, and Greg Mackling, thank you very much, Joe. Thank 48, thank you and Master Control and thank you for listening to Mackling and McGarry on 680 CJOB.